Forge family. Last time we were together, um, we plunged into first chapter of the book of Daniel, and we were in 6th century B.C. and Babylonia. Uh, Selected out of the refugees and the captives of Jerusalem and Judah were four young men who were observant Jews. Okay, that word means they practiced it. They, they lived it. It was part of their lives. They weren't just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got bored, but mm, no big deal. Okay? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were chosen out of the refugee pile to be trained in the school of Babylon, so to speak, so that they would be uh, prepared to become the counselors of the king. And that was true from all the regions, all the conquests that Babylonia made. They brought in the young men. And, and these just happened to be those out of Judah and Jerusalem. They were treated as counselors of the king from the very beginning because they were given a meal allotment off the king's table. That may have been the best food ration in the world of that day. But Daniel held himself up against the standards of Adonai, Lord, sovereign God, whom he worshipped. Now, recognize that uh, to eat the barley, the meat, the poultry, the fish, the breads, the sweets, vegetables, whatever that was that had come off the king's table, all that that came to your plate had been offered up to idols before it got there. And the wine that the king had been drinking and passed on, you know, you, were, you shared in that particular vintage, that also had been poured out as a libation on the ground to honor the gods of Babylon. So for Daniel to have done that, he would have become a, an idol worshiper, whether he knew it or not. Instead, Daniel and his friends sought to test God's care over them by requesting a vegetarian diet And that in and of itself was easily prepared in a kosher way. The result of the 10-day test proved abundantly that their diet was superior and they were allowed to continue with it. At the end of the three-year study in the School of Babylon where they, they were taught the literature and the history of Babylonia. Now, pause a minute, put a parenthesis around that. That really ought to be read as the exposure to the dark demonic practices that filled the Babylonian culture. Close paren. Okay, they got exposed to all of that for three years. And at the end of it, these four young men knew the contents, understood the contents, could discuss and argue the contents, but did not believe the contents. Nevertheless, when presented before Nebuchadnezzar for their final oral exams... They greatly excelled over all others in the school of Babylon and were taken into the king's service. Now, Daniel particularly was gifted by Adonai, by the sovereign God watching over Israel as one who could interpret dreams. That skill set him apart from all others in the court. However, Daniel had to stand in the midst of the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the conjurers, the enchanters, and those that practiced divination. He was surrounded by these guys that were all doing bad juju. Okay? 
And he did that. He stood in their midst. He led the wise men of Babylon. He did it for nearly 70 years. And he served five different kings in the process. So let's pray. Lord Adonai, Lord God, we too would be those who choose to challenge ourselves against your standards, your word, and your ways. We want to be followers of Jesus who seek wisdom and understanding with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. All five of those characteristics, Lord, come from the triune God. Days are coming and are now when we have to stand as Daniel did. We look to you, we worship you, and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, family, chapter 2 of Daniel is a long one. It's 49 verses. So I'm not going to teach you every verse. Okay, I'm going to, we're going to, you're going to hear some flow and then you're going to get some scripture and some flow and some scripture. Here we go. Verse 1 gives the date of this dream. First recorded dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. And it was his second reigning year. The Babylonian calendar and the Hebrew calendar don't mesh. They're, They're off by about a year. Okay, don't worry about that. On that year, it's likely that Nebuchadnezzar had just approved Daniel and uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah as the highest achieving and the best of class from the school of Babylon. On the night of the dream, the spirit of Nebuchadnezzar was troubled and his sleep left him. That's a bad thing when when the king can't sleep, okay? Okay. Knowing that the dream had been significant, he summoned the court magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans were an ethnic group. Um, They had the ziggurats. You know, they were the ones who watched the stars and tracked the stars. They were soothsayer priests, probably the magi that we know of in Luke chapter 2. I think it's 2. Maybe it's one. Oh, it's two. It's after the birth of Jesus. Okay, maybe three. Luke three. Okay, the Magi were descended from the Chaldeans. Okay, they were, it's southern, southern portion, way southern portion of, of uh, Babylonia and later of Persia and later of the, 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 uh, the Greek Empire. So this, this crowd shows up. There's a bundle of soothsayer priests, workers of spells and demonic power, and astrologers that sought wisdom from watching the sky. All of them came to stand before the king. Now, this was a select bunch that was, that was brought before the king. Daniel wasn't included. He wasn't present. Okay? So this was probably the senior members of the council who were able to you know, counsel the king. Nebuchadnezzar informed them that he had had a dream that had made his spirit anxious, and he wanted to know the answers. He wanted to understand the dream. The astrologers, okay, now you're talking now Chaldeans, okay? They step up front and they address the king on behalf of the, of the gathering. O king, live forever. Right thing to say, okay? <laughs> then they requested the king to tell them the dream so that, they could, that it could be interpreted. Now, note here, just another big parenthesis here. In this book, starting with verse 1, chapter 1 
of Daniel, and it runs from that beginning verse all the way to chapter 2, verse 4. That's Hebrew. Chapter 4, there's a shift. All of a sudden, we're not, we're not translating Hebrew anymore. It's Aramaic. And it, it runs for another four chapters, five chapters, into chapter 7. Now, you go, why is that? Well, this passage here has nothing to do with the people of Israel. It has to do with God's involvement with empires that are yet to come. And so as long as we're not talking about God's people, it's okay to step away from Hebrew. The focus here is God, not the people of Israel. The request to tell out Nebuchadnezzar's dream was denied. He was asking of the conjuring crowd in front of him to both tell back his dream and interpret it. The final result of the king was set. He wasn't going to have none of the homebrew, tell the king what he, he likes to hear, the $1.95 minute page, uh, psychic stuff, that inter, you know, interpretation of dreams. He wasn't having any of that without first having the entirety of the dream read back to him. The magicians were going to follow his instructions to tell back the dream and then interpret it, or they would be executed. I mean, he just put the spike in the floor. There we are. Now, he also said, if you do this, if you, you match my dream challenge here, if you will, you do that, and you read back my dream, and then interpret it for me, and my heart goes, yeah, you get hugely rewarded. You get elevated. You get promoted. So, there, you know, there's a carrot and a stick. Okay, the stick is really going to hurt, though. All right? The bottom line, the conjuring crowd there were shocked. No despot, no potentate, no king in history had ever demanded his dream interpreters to give back the context and the contents of the, of the dream first. As their parting shot, the Chaldeans, they're the astrologers, they sharply respond in verses 10 and 11 in chapter 2. He says, there is not such a man on earth who can declare the matter for the king inasmuch as no great king or ruler ever asked anything like this of his magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. So there, Nebuchadnezzar, so to speak. I mean, there, it was a, it was, there's pushback. And Nebuchadnezzar lost it. He condemned all his counselors to death. Now, the history in that region is filled with many hideous and inventive means of execution. So when he says, you're dead, they knew it wasn't just, you know, it was not a simple bloodletting. It was going to be inventive and scary and awful. Okay, so while the shaking magicians and sorcerers and conjurers and astrologers were being herded off to death row, Daniel discovers he's being taken into remand as well. And he turns to this guy named Arioch, who is the king's high executioner, the chief official to deal with all these magicians. And he wants to know what's happening. And Arioch says, well, they couldn't, they couldn't interpret they couldn't play back, couldn't interpret the king's dream, so they're gone. They're done. 
Daniel asks permission. Now he realizes he's included in this mess. He just got himself condemned as well with them. But he asks for permission to go into the king and ask for time. So what he does, he, he gets access to the king and he, and he makes an appeal for a period of time, a set piece of time, when he will return and read back to the king the dream. Then he goes directly to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and they get on their face and they get on their knees. Now, Daniel knew that it was a deadly situation. If he and his brothers uh, could not unravel the mystery of the king's dream, they were dead men. So they called out to God that he would hear their cry. Verse 19 of chapter 2 states that the mystery of the dream was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So it simply said... That just means Daniel dreamed the same dream with a little prefix on the front of it all the way through to the end. He got the whole deal that Nebuchadnezzar got as well. Daniel's response was high praise. With these words, he blessed the God of heaven. That phrase, God of heaven, appears only a couple of places here in the book of Daniel. And once out of the mouth of Cyrus, king of the Medes and Persians, in 2 Chronicles 36. It's a, it's a, it just hasn't appeared in the text of scripture as a name for God, the God of heaven. Now, some of you know it as Padre Cielo. Okay? That's a little softer, I think, than, than um, God of heaven. You know, that was that has lightning bolts and thunder and storms and things, okay? Daniel's song of praise that follows. Yeah, this, is, this is actually a song. This is not just words, okay? Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him, and it is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. Kind of works right now in Washington, Okay? Here we go. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He brings what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks to thee and praise thee for thou hast given me wisdom and power. Even now thou hast made known to me what we requested of thee for thou hast made known to us the king's matter. So Daniel went directly to the executioner, to Arioch. And he appealed to that, that uh, executioner, don't kill all those guys. Don't kill the counselors. And he urged Arioch to take him into the king um, to declare the meaning of the dream. Arioch went before Daniel into the presence of the king saying, I found a man among the exiles from Judah. Who can make the interpretation known to the king? If you let that sit with you a little while, I think it will sound like it has a sting in it. Over and over in history, God has used a despised Jew to solve the problems of mankind. Look at Abraham, then Joseph, Mordecai, Jonah, and Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just, you know, there's more. 
you know, many others who aren't even listed, listed in Scripture who have saved great multitudes of humanity. So Ariok wasn't, uh, he didn't even treat Daniel like he was a counselor. You're just a refugee Jew. But he steps out of the way, and, and the king turns and says, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. They got nothing. They're flatlined. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. Daniel got not only the contents of the dream and its interpretation, he got the setting. The king was on his bed, not sleeping well, pondering about the future. Now, this God of heaven was going to make plain to the king what would be taking place in the distant future. Daniel made sure that the king knew that it was not he, not Daniel, who was the interpreter and revealer of the dream. It was God. And it was God who would reveal the thoughts of the king's mind. What follows was an account of the actual dream. As, it, as if it was in real time, as if Daniel just opened his mouth and you got the cinematography. And there it is, the whole thing. Light and sound and action and you know, a, a sound score, etc. You know, all of it. It was exactly like what the king had received. Before Nebuchadnezzar appeared a vast statue, if you will, of great splendor made of four metals. The head was gold, the chest and arms were made of silver, the belly and the thighs were bronze, the legs were made of iron. Lastly, the feet and toes were a mixture of iron and cast clay. The king had looked upon a vast stone cut from a mountain without hands, and that stone was smashed on the feet of this huge statue. The five sections of the statue already described were smashed to dust and blown away like chaff so that no element of the statue remained. The stone that had struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Then Daniel set about to interpret what the king saw in his dream, beginning in verse 37. And he says, You, O king, are king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the, the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory wherever the sons of men dwell or the beasts of the field or the birds of prey. He has given them into your hands and have caused you to rule over them. You, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. And after you will come another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. It is much as iron crushes and shatters all things. Like iron that breaks in pieces, so it will crush and break all these in pieces. And in that 
You saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom. And it will have in its toughness of iron, in it, the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. And as the toes of the feet are partly iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that, you saw the iron mixed with common clay. They will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. And in the days of, these, of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a, a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all those kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. And then Daniel steps back and concludes King Nebuchadnezzar gets out of his throne and prostrates himself. He's on his face in front of Daniel. He's making homage. He's beginning to worship. He orders incense to be burned and an offering to be laid before Daniel. Now on the surface, this is the response of a pagan king to a deity. The king said, Surely your God is the God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Now, in reality, Daniel is the representative of Adonai. And as such, he stands there and receives the homage, the incense, and the offering. Further, Daniel was richly gifted and promoted to be ruler over the whole province of Babylon and made chief prefect over all the wise men of the, uh, that belonged to Nebuchadnezzar, that counseled Nebuchadnezzar. Not wishing to leave Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah behind, for they too had prayed fiercely for the answer from Adonai. Help unravel the riddle of the king's dream. Daniel requested that they too be promoted. These three men administered the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel served in court. Remember last week I mentioned that the name of, of uh, Azariah popped up in the writings of the papyri on Elephantine Island in Egypt. It's like he was, he, he, he was a, an administrator of a vast region of the Babylonian Empire, and, and uh, he was known that far away on the other side of the, of the, of the desert and then down, down the coastal region and then up the Nile River, and there his name was. Now, Ford family, let's add some more history and scripture to this dream sequence. Nebuchadnezzar did indeed rule the vast Neo-Babylonian Empire for 43 years. And then when he passed, <coughs> there were, excuse me, <coughs> when he passed, there were four other kings that followed him in Babylonia for over a period of 23 years. <coughs> but then, at, at 66 years, they were wiped away. They were pictured as the head of gold. 
Cyrus the Great, who led the Medo-Persians to sweep the Babylonian civilization armies, they, they, they controlled even greater land masses than the previous empire. They were, the the Medo-Persian empire was bigger than Babylonia. Okay? <clears throat> now, it's, it was pictured with their arms and chest of silver as part of the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw. But it was said of that um, portion, they were inferior, if you will, because <clears throat> in their culture, there was a, a, uh, a significant uh, rate of moral decline, great vice and corruption in the Persian Empire. And that ended, it ceased in 331 BC. Okay? What happened was that Alexander the Great brought the Greek army out of, of uh, the Balkans, out of Europe, across the Bosporus, and he extended his empire from Yugoslavia to the Indus River in India. That army, that, that, that empire was pictured as the bronze hips and waist of that statue. That lasted until um, long, it lasted long after Alexander passed, okay, uh, until 146 BC. The generals of Alexander fought a bit amongst themselves. There was great disharmony about who was going to take over for Alexander in which region. And so there were at least four, and sometimes more than that at any given time, of generals who had a portion of that, of that Greek empire. In 146, excuse me, I mentioned that the bronze legs of the, of the statue represented the Greek Empire. The bronze uh, waist and, and, uh, and hips were uh, on the statue and represented the Greek Empire. In 146 BC, Rome began to rise, powered by its legions, its government, its trade, and it's, it's, it's just this drive, this, this astounding drive. And so from the, from the defeat of Carthage in 146 uh, to the rule of the last emperor in the West, the Western Roman Empire in 476, okay, that portion of the Roman Empire lasted that long. Then the Eastern portion of the Roman Empire, which we know as the Byzantine Empire, that lasted until 1453 AD. That's pictured in the statue as the legs made out of iron. Now, think back to verse 34. When Daniel described the stone that was cut from the mountain without human hands. Okay? In, in, the, in the dream, that stone representing, represented the kingdom of God. And, and in the dream, it had, been healed, it had been hurled at the feet of that statue. That event... That pulverizing blow that was going to crush and powder and blow away all remaining evidence of those, of those five. I'm sorry, I skipped one. There's, there's a fifth one. Okay, uh, there's this image of iron and clay. Okay, and that's the target of the, of the rock that's thrown there. 
Okay, so when, when that happens, it hasn't happened yet. It, it's a piece of world history yet to come. Okay? The rise of the old Roman Empire people groups have yet to coalesce in history. And when that happens, Daniel has already laid out the mixture. It's iron and clay. It's brutal and it's brittle. It will be the stone of the kingdom of God that will be hurled at the feet of the resurgent Roman Empire led by a coalition of ten kings. Here in Daniel in this chapter and later in chapter 7, the ten toes of the feet in chapter 2 and the ten horns that are mentioned in chapter 7 will be linked to ten kings. The number ten, you know, it looks different to toes, to horns, to you know, whatever, to kings. But, okay, they're all talking about the same thing. Okay? These kings are also spoken of in the book of Revelation. I ran across a thoughtful snippet regarding the iron toes mixed with clay. A man named Gleason Archer, Archer he's, a, he's a, a Bible scholar, writer. He said, this final phase will be marked by some... Uh, by some sort of um, federation rather than by a powerful single realm. The iron may possibly represent the influence of the old Roman culture and tradition, and the pottery may represent the inherent weakness of a socialist society based on relativistic morality and philosophy. Out of this mixture of iron and clay come confusion pointing to the approaching day of doom. Within the scope of verse 43 are disunity, class struggle, even civil war, resulting from a hopelessly divided society to achieve an integrated world order. The iron and the pottery may coexist, but they cannot combine in a strong and durable world order. Unquote. So where do we stand when we hear some of this stuff of end times things? Now, if you recall, we studied First Thessalonians, and Paul went way out of his way to remind the Thessalonians of a teaching he'd already put forth. Okay, and he did it again. He did it for our sake. Okay, if you recall, it says, the Lord will return in the clouds and catch up to him in the clouds. Those who are dead in Christ, they rise first, and then those who are alive will be caught up to be with him forever. Okay, that hasn't taken place either. Now, it's true. if it's true for the Thessalonians... That promise is true for us. When we see the rise of ten strong leaders or kings in a European consortium, get ready for the coming of Jesus. Now, let's look at the great rock. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, we saw the stone cut from a mountain without hands, and it's destined to strike the ten kings. That rock is Christ himself. His kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, will be established in the time of those kings. His kingdom will have a divine origin. His kingdom will be eternal. The kingdom of Christ is pictured as filling the whole earth. Now, it's sometimes hard for us to believe that because we're surrounded by so much uh, crime, international crime, atrocities, injustices, etc. But we know that Christ's coming kingdom and rule will 
be triumphant. When that stone strikes the feet of that statue and powders it, blows it away, that's also going to be true. For all those points where we kind of go, oh, Lord, what are you doing about this huge problem and that problem over there in my own family, etc.? We know that Christ's coming kingdom and rule will be triumphant. So let's pray. Sovereign God, you have protected your scripture as you have protected your promises to us. For millennia, those who followed Jesus as Savior and Lord were taught to look to the future things. Our hope is anchored in your word. What a great message we carry. In Jesus' name, amen.